We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The future of the NFL is fascinating. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. Oh, my newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, we did the live reaction pod to the Tyreek Hill trade yesterday. We had a, an awesome time. Thanks so much to everyone who was able, during the work week, to, to jump on and um, watch that live and then who has either listened to it or watched it back after the fact with a little bit more time to then uh, digest that trade and then sort of just what the entire offseason has meant. I'm at this point now where, and I was just saying this to you before the show, but I'm, I mean, everyone is talking about how crazy this offseason has been, but I, I'm just struck by how many sort of eras have ended around the NFL this Rogers Adams era in Green Bay is over. The Mahomes Hill era in Kansas City is over. The Russ Wilson era in Seattle is over. The Matt Ryan era in Atlanta is over. The Deshaun Watson era in Houston was probably already over, but now you know it starts anew with a massive deal with tons of guarantees in Cleveland. There are so many things. That, I mean, Brady retired and then unretired, but like he's already in, you know created this new era as of the last couple of years. There are so many things happening this offseason that aren't just like teams necessarily changing this offseason, or excuse me, players changing teams this offseason. It's things that have defined the NFL, not just from 2021, but from, you know, going back to, again, to Brady leaving New England, but going back to that era you know, Matthew Stafford last offseason is another one leaving Detroit finally after all those years. There are a lot of things happening that are are changing multi-year periods. And it creates this, it's a really fun time as fantasy analysts. And it, it's a fun time to be an NFL analyst because we're it creates this atmosphere where we're looking at a lot of teams with really wide ranges where you don't really know how all these pieces will fit into all these different spots, obviously. But also, it's it's just one of these things that I'm looking at it, and we're gonna. I, I mean, I think a lot of people have said this offseason that the NFL is becoming like the NBA or whatever with all this offseason movement, 
And I'm looking at it like, yes, this has been the craziest offseason ever. And it's also going to stay the craziest offseason ever. Not every offseason in the future is going to have this many impact moves. I mean, I think we're going to look back and be like, remember that 2022 offseason where so much shifted? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the most fun fantasy season to play in a long time. And that's coming off of a couple of years where we had a blast, right? So this is exciting. And kind of as you had mentioned to me, I think one of the big catalysts is that the last two Super Bowls have been won by quarterbacks that change teams, teams that were willing to go out and make that move, got the whole thing done. Now, the Buccaneers weren't the best team two years ago. The Rams weren't the best team last year, but they were close enough that when they gave their team that chance with this massive quarterback upgrade, and then were able to build around that, both of those teams really went for broke to get where they needed to be, have the players surrounding. They were able to get that win. And so now we have some interesting contrasts between teams that see themselves as maybe having this small window before they're going to have to blow things up and could be bad for a long time and are going to need to attack and try to execute that same template along with these teams that, again, as you were mentioning, have these young superstars. And one of the things that we noted on the show yesterday is that what the Chiefs have done here is kind of interesting because we looked at it from a, a dynasty fantasy trade perspective. We'd say, okay, well, the Chiefs were the winners, right? And that's what you need to do to create this big championship window. Well, I think that we're going to continue to see some of these teams with players like Mahomes and obviously Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, you know, potentially Deshaun Watson if things work out for him there. Still a lot that he actually has to get through before he ever plays a snap with Cleveland. But it's interesting to kind of contrast these two different ways of going about it. But either way you go about it, you need to have a star QB. The competition on the AFC side, and one of the reasons why you go and you play to win as you don't know what's going to happen but the nfc has been weaker and yet their entrance in the last two super bowls have won and we say this all the time in dynasty as well give yourself a chance to win we all know that's not the strongest team in our dynasty leagues that always win either you want to put yourself in that conversation the afc teams have had these battles and then a couple years ago we had a chiefs team that was very wounded on the offensive line when they actually played in the super bowl this past season the Bengals did a fantastic job and they deserve all the credit for what they did they probably weren't as strong on a week-to-week -week basis although they did defeat the chiefs twice as kansas city and buffalo but that's what it's going to be in the afc and i think that we're going to see afc super teams start to make it or make it through and be healthy and then the NFC side is going to be really challenged in some of those games. But one of the things that's been awesome is we haven't had too many really bad Super Bowl games like we used to have, you know, 20 years ago. The, the NFL has gotten to be so exciting just on a game-by-game -game basis. Reality football is fantastic. That makes fantasy football a lot of fun. And the other element of that, I think, that does come into play for a lot of these teams is that a lot of the front offices, for all the criticism they get, are getting more savvy at the types of things that we talk about in terms of what you need to do game planning wise, what you need to do play by play wise. Some of the things we've seen the bills do, for example, maximizing the value of your downs, maximizing the value of your possessions. Those things also leak into some of these front office moves and the teams are getting savvier in terms of understanding what your overall roster needs to look like, how it needs to be built from a player perspective and a salary cap perspective to either a give yourself a chance to win a super bowl 
or B, to really build a dynasty, which is something that outside of the Patriots, we've seen teams struggle to do. One of the things I like about this offseason, I think a lot of teams have made a lot of smart moves, and that's encouraging, right? It's a lot better than constantly looking up and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Yeah, it has been, yeah, it's been nice to see these teams make some some smarter moves. I'm still just struck by the larger NFL stuff. I mean, I know the other big element of it that people have discussed is the the firepower shifting to the AFC or where it already was. But when I was talking about some of these quarterbacks have changed teams, even Matthew Stafford last offseason, and then Matt Ryan this year, Russell Wilson came in. Ryan and Stafford were two of the last QBs, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that were before the rookie wage scale. And so they got really big initial contracts with their teams. Uh, Russ was one of the first, I think, after it. And so he started with a smaller contract. But that wave of quarterback, I mean, I was saying this to you before the show, but that wave of quarterback that was sort of the next group after, you know, the Manning and Brady, Aaron Rodgers group has like, there's some really good quarterbacks in that group. Maybe not like the superstars to the degree that the Mahomes and Allen and Herbert and Burrow group look like they're going to be and Lamar. And it's really interesting. There's 32 teams, right? And we have, we, we had Philip Rivers retire and we had Ben Roethlisberger retire. We're at this point where there's 32 teams, there's 32 quarterbacks is sort of what I'm saying. Some, some of that older group is, is aging out. I don't think there's going to be as much quarterback mobility in the Mahomes group. It seems like, you know, Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Herbert, Burrow, and now that Watson has signed this huge deal with guaranteed money, which to your point, there's a lot there. And I, I kind of, I just hate talking about it right now. I hate being part of the problem where, where everyone is just doesn't want to d- discuss the actual issues. But so the, I think the best we can do is just once again, acknowledge it. And I know there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about it, but that's just a a bad situation, obviously. But he has this massive guaranteed money deal. He's going to be in Cleveland. We know how the NFL works. They're just going to keep moving forward. And two years from now, probably he will be uh, re- his image will have been rehabbed to a, to a certain degree, much like Ben Roethlisberger, who has those types of things in his history. Not to the same number of accusations, but you know, no one talks about it anymore. We just moved on. But Deshaun Watson, in terms of class of player and stability with contract and everything, is going to be the the Browns quarterback for a long time, it looks like. And so you have all of these guys in the AFC that it feels like for the next at least three to five years, and and I think for the Mahomes and the Allen and and Burrow and Herbert, these guys are going to be there for a decade. And so you have this AFC that there's not going to be quarterback movement from those teams. Those teams are absolute juggernauts. On the NFC side, you have Brady's Bucks and you have Rodgers Packers and you have Stafford and the Rams. Brady and Rodgers were both in retirement conversation, was, you know, certainly there this offseason. In Brady's case, obviously, he announced that he was retiring and then has already announced he's coming back. Those guys aren't going to be around for a very long time necessarily from here on. Five years from now, they're probably not going to still be playing. Matthew Stafford might be, but might not be. You have the Cardinals and the 49ers and some of these other teams, but the NFC, I think, is really interesting in this respect that, like, who's going to be the next? There's no quarterback 
I mean, maybe Kyler, but there's not really anyone to the level of all of the ones that are concentrated in the AFC side in terms of like clear, maybe decade long franchise cornerstone at that quarterback position, which is really interesting in terms of developing the, the then next wave of quarterbacks. I was saying to you before the show, you look at teams like the Jets with Zach Wilson and the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, even who was the number one pick last year. And it feels like they can't just get those guys back to like league average play and contend in this AFC. Now those guys are going to have to be great or you're going to be in a really tough spot. You were talking to me about obviously how there's a list of teams that is going to take a quarterback again now, and we'll see if they hit or not. They have to hit uh, in the AFC. Like the, the quarterbacks have to be high level in the NFC. You probably still have that thing where if you have a rookie quarterback who can be league average and provide surplus value over that rookie contract, you might still be able to build a good enough team around them to win, whether that's, you know, Trey Lance or, or somebody, or, or, you know, one of this year's crop of quarterbacks going to one of the many NFC teams, I think that, that needs a quarterback. And maybe, you know, certainly I have, I have not mentioned Dak yet either. I probably should throw him in and, and there's an NFC quarterback that's kind of disrespectful to not mention his name at this point, but it is just really, really interesting. The, the landscape of the NFL, where we're headed, and I really do feel like this offseason and this major shift, including stuff like Russell Wilson going to the AFC, which it's been discussed a lot, but I think the ramifications of that, like now he's going to be a Bronco for for quite a while. He signed a big deal. That We are in a position where the AFC is going to be competitive, very competitive for a, a long time now. We have these new eras that are going to start for some of these teams that are three or four-year windows, at least for some AFC teams, we have a 10-year window maybe, you know, Mahomes and Josh Allen. It's just a really, really fascinating time in the NFL. It's fascinating in the conference imbalance of what where these teams are and what they what their futures look like. It's fascinating just on a, on a ton of levels, really. You were saying you weren't super optimistic about the situation for the Jets and the Jaguars. And kind of going back there, too, with the Jaguars – I think within this context, and one of the interesting things about them now potentially trading LaVisca and one of the interesting names being mentioned being the Chiefs, which obviously we would have some excitement if he went there. I mean, worst case, you're, you're probably looking at another Nicole Hardman for them. There's a little bit of overlap now if you add Chenault to Juju and Hardman, even though Hardman and Juju probably don't have a ton then LaVisca kind of slides in between them and you're like, well, we needed somebody maybe more on the opposite end of that, but interesting nonetheless. But from the Jaguars perspective, when you're looking at these juggernauts, perhaps introducing highly paid high floor players as opposed to high ceiling players, it, it, it's just very difficult to see how they're going to have the talent and the firepower, number one, to get their players or their quarterback up to average, but then number two, to be competitive it also sounded a little bit like you were soaking in the skepticism of San Francisco there, where we're now being treated to a second year where it's like, maybe Trey Lance is not going to be the starting quarterback again. Obviously, the 49ers, I would say, are the team that potentially has the young QB and the team around him to be competitive in the way that we did a full show on where you have some of that flexibility to build. Now, if you're also carrying a second quarterback, then 
you know, some of that goes away. I mean, you have the safety of having someone if your quarterback gets hurt or just can't play. But to miss on someone like Lance, especially when you didn't just draft him early, but you paid a lot to move up for him, that just sets you back. And it kind of underlines the issue that some of these teams that have taken the path now where they're looking at potentially getting some rookie quarterbacks. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on these teams. You mentioned the NFC side. A lot of the franchises, obviously, to give themselves some leverage and just in case you know they don't have the quarterback they want when they're on the clock in the draft have made some moves your seahawks you know i kind of joked about this yesterday but anytime a team is talking about a drew lock geno smith battle number one they're either i mean they're either delusional or they've got another move coming there so seahawks lions saints even with Jameis winston i would say and the falcons all teams needing a qb the carolina panthers may be needing a qb most of all but that may stem from feelings for dj more there but you have those four nfc teams on the afc side you now have the texans who did seem to like davis mills but again within the context of what an afc team is going to have to do that feels like a little bit of a long shot the steelers have made the move for mitchell trubisky he obviously got a very difficult situation there with the bears and and i know you mock fired his head coach matt nagy being there in the situation with mike tomlin obviously much better where people wanted him was competing with Daniel Jones with the Giants. The Giants, another kind of stealth team to do something surprising, I think, even though uh, they just have a lot going on there, a lot of interesting pieces, and yet a lot to clean up before sort of structurally across the entire organization before they probably feel like they can be competitive. It might make sense for them to wait a year. So at least six teams competing for what look like five potential starting caliber quarterbacks and i know some people like carson strong in that mix as well but for the five that seem to be mocked in that first round range you have a lot of athleticism you have some pretty good arm strength you have some pretty good collegiate results travis may has some cool research on how once you adjust for play context a lot of these guys actually look better instead of worse which is a situation that we sometimes see the opposite with on top college quarterback prospects we talk about this overall topic and then we also talk about the specifics to fantasy both in terms of redraft how it could affect all of these wide receivers because there are a lot of wide receivers affected both on the very positive side with these star qbs but then on the very negative side of perhaps having disastrous quarterback situations but then we also talk about dynasty and especially in superflex. i can't see a scenario where any of the top five prospects fall outside the first 43 picks. What are your thoughts on how these teams are going to address in the draft? And, you know, is there any hope that that's going to work and that some of these guys are going to match up with the superstars in the future and perhaps bring the NFC back up? I mean, one of the things you, we talk about windows, but even at their age and with what they're doing, the windows for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady actually could still be pretty significant. Yeah, they could be multi-years. As you're saying all that and just looking at the QB class as sort of a whole, which was, you know, initially considered to be sort of a down year, I think there's been a little bit more optimism. Me being sort of, you know, more math and data oriented, I, I look at the fact that there are these five prospects, all of whom have some positives in their profiles, all have some maybe some concerns. No can't miss uh, prospects, but also all of them are intriguing. 
typically my mind is immediately brought to this idea that like, okay, probably a couple of them are going to be good. A couple of them are going to be bad. It's going to be somewhere in the middle, but we're also talking about like a one time outcome. And so this class as a whole, it is possible. It's all bad. It's possible. It's all good. Last year's class looked amazing. And, and after one year, we're looking more like this, uh, this outcome that was probably a lot lower than 50%, a pretty extreme outcome where it's just kind of maybe a bad class, you know, Trevor Lawrence, not being the number one overall pick type producer right away, Lance not even getting on the field. And now potentially like you were talking about earlier in the show, maybe not even getting on the field in year two, which would be just a bizarre sort of red flag that we'd have to be concerned about. I'm still hopeful that we'll see Garoppolo traded and, and Lance be fine, but fields and Zach Wilson and even Mac Jones, one of the success stories not really being talked about as, you know, a future franchise QB, something like that would like in my mind when i look at the 2022 class i'm thinking the future of the nfc is tied to this class in some ways right because there's like you said there's going to be probably four teams addressing this class and maybe also the 2023 and 2024 classes it's not this isn't the last draft class in the history of the nfl but these teams are going to go after most of the teams that are going to go after a qb are skewed towards the nfc side you have some of these other NFC teams, like say the Vikings with Kirk Cousins, Washington going out and getting Wentz. I think you mentioned the Giants in there, where they're at with Daniel Jones. I feel like they're going nowhere. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, the Eagles are sort of intriguing because they still have Jalen Hurts cheap, and they should theoretically be able to build a good team around him. They're intriguing because they're in the NFC. You got to be excited about if you're a Cowboys fan because you are in the division in football that has a lot of problems. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, and, and I think the same is true for the Bucks as well. The NFC South has, you know, quite a, quite a few problems like the, the Saints trying to put a bandaid on things with Winston, maybe that works, but the Panthers can't get anyone to come and play quarterback for them. They've been trying since Matt rule took over. Uh, and the Falcons obviously are going to go now into a rebuild with Matt Ryan gone. And you have these multiple divisions in the NFC that look like they're sort of going nowhere. Even the, the NFC West, which has looked so great over the last several years, now has the Seahawks as a clear bottom feeder. Um, you haven't come around on 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 getting rid of Russell Wilson. Yeah, the, and the NFC North. Again, I just mentioned the Vikings, the Bears. I'm hopeful for for Justin Fields. The Lions, obviously, are in a multi-year rebuild while they wait out Jared Goff's contract, more or less. There's just not a lot of good teams in the NFC. And so you you have when you talk about the 22 QB draft class, in my mind, it's like if this whole draft class is bad again, like 2021, what does that mean for the future of the NFC as a conference? And if they're all good, then we might actually, you know, or, or if we do have that outcome where, man, all these guys really hit or four of them really hit in a good positive way. Um, then we have that outcome that looks somewhat similar to what we've had bunching up in the AFC over the last three or four years with all of those quarterbacks that we just mentioned at the top of the show that become these future, you know, franchise quarterbacks on those teams. And so just the future, like I, like, I mean, we, we said at the top of the show, the future of the NFL, it's just, it's very, very fascinating. The draft this year is going to be fascinating. You know, there's no secret. I think that the Rams and the Bucks winning the Super Bowl the last two years, you mentioned they weren't the best teams in football. They both teams massively, benefited from the weakness of the NFC in the playoffs the last two years. The Bucs beat Washington in the first round. They went on to beat um, Drew Brees' Saints, who they were down, I believe, 10 points to in the second half. And the Saints just sort of, like, Brees didn't have it anymore. That was his last career game. You know, Jared Cook had a bad fumble in that game. It really underscores the fact that Aaron Rodgers has not 
been able to get back to the Super Bowl these last couple of years. The Bucs then go through Aaron Rodgers. And then the Rams beat the Cardinals in the first round, the Bucs in the second round, right? The And then they get the 49ers in the NFC Championship, a six seed that wins sort of a fluky game in Lambeau Field on a punt block where like nothing's happening on either side offensively. And then they get the one huge play that decides this weather game. And they're able to get through the 49ers and make it to the Super Bowl. And then they actually get sort of this advantage of the Bengals being this really big, surprising AFC champion, which, you know, in their own right was due to an easier road. You had the Bills and the Chiefs meeting in the divisional round and you had the Bengals going through Tennessee, first beating the Raiders, who I think were the weakest, or I guess the Steelers as well, but probably one of the weakest playoff teams in the AFC last year and then beating the Titans, who were one of the weakest one seeds we've seen in a long time, especially for how good that conference is. And so... Obviously, their win in Kansas City was very, very impressive, and the Bengals could have won the Super Bowl in their own right. That was a close game. Just really interesting to see how the Bucs and the and the Rams, their paths were, I think, a lot easier. And that does play – there's a, a lot of variance in individual football games that does play a lot into what ends up deciding these seasons, right, and the Super Bowl champions and legacies. It's just going to be so fascinating. Like I, I mentioned, like the team like the Eagles, like if they get their stuff together or – um, you mentioned the Niners, who's a better example of that. If they're able, you know, to to really build, and if Lance is good, the NFC's there for the taking in some regards. Obviously, Brady's Bucks and Rogers Packers aren't going to be bad, but Brady's Bucks are going to be a little bit worse this year. Uh, Rogers Packers aren't going to have Devontae Adams. I mean, those teams could very well are, are still the favorites to to represent the NFC in in the Super Bowl, but. It's just a really, uh, yeah, I mean, these it would not surprise me if a rookie quarterback who's actually a hit and is really good in his rookie year goes to the Super Bowl from the NFC this year. And I think it, what you're describing there underscores the fact that some of the individual players made some decisions that make a lot of sense in so many different ways, except for this element of trying to create an easy path to winning a Super Bowl and having that as part of their legacy. Right. We have Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, both of whom had a lot of say, if not com complete say, in terms of where they went. They both go to the AFC. Devontae Adams pushes his way out of Green Bay, which would have been the pretty clear, again, Super Bowl favorite from the NFC to go to the Raiders, which looks like the fourth place team just in the NFC West. And then you have Tyreek Hill, who moves from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. And as we covered yesterday, I mean, the Dolphins are going to have a difficult wrote because there are so many good teams in that conference the other interesting thing there is that i think that some of these rookie quarterbacks and you mentioned maybe two hit they're going to have incredible value right away even before the draft right now based on how he's performed in the draft process malik willis has more fantasy value than any of the quarterbacks from last year's rookie class i mean he's already ahead of fields ahead of lance the other guys come in quite a bit behind because they don't add that rushing value and weren't stars. And we talk a little bit about how it is possible to build a super team around a rookie quarterback, but some of that does depend on the quality of the competition. One of the things that we saw last year was Mac Jones come out and play very well, and the New England Patriots build this sort of conservative game manage team around him where they have the strong running game, strong offensive line, very good defense. They go out in the playoffs and get absolutely annihilated because the opposing team has Josh Allen. Now that's just one game, right? And it, 
a little bit like the, the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, it was so definitive that it feels like if you play that game 10 times, the Bills probably win in blowouts every time. When in fact, that's not really the case. The Patriots had a good team. But the issue that you're going to have if you have these good teams and are hitting these elite quarterbacks is that, I mean, you would have to get through all of them in order to make a Super Bowl appearance. I mean, are you going to be able to take a team that has, you know, that's going to be handing off to slightly above average running backs and beat consecutively superstar QBs? It, it's just not very likely. It seems unrealistic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've just been sort of waxing poetic about the actual NFL, but tying it back into fantasy, you've you've talked a lot about the potential shootouts that we're going to see in the AFC, and it's going to be fun, um, especially the AFC West. We have Herbert and Russ and obviously Mahomes, and then even the Raiders, I think, will be an interesting shootout uh, candidate. And, and, and you've hit on that, and I think it's, it's really important to think about from a fantasy perspective there's a lot of good teams and good offenses and there's going to be high scoring, but those teams are all valued very, very highly as well. When we talk about this stuff on the NFC side, is there a part of you that's like the strength of schedule is going to be really interesting for some of these teams? Because like, I, I don't put a ton of weight into strength of schedule, but some of these teams that are playing in really poor divisions, like you mentioned deck, right? Dallas has lost some weapons and, and, obviously like overall team strength and defense strength are not necessarily perfectly correlated. There's some bad teams that still have good defenses, but I'm even thinking, I guess, further behind Dak in, into some of the cheaper areas of drafts. Is there potential for some of these offenses to look really good statistically over the course of a season, just sort of because of some of the opponents they're playing? And I mean, maybe I'll just throw out some names. I mean, obviously the bears immediately come to my mind always, they're going to get two games with the Lions. They're going to get two games with the Vikings who are somewhere in the middle of not knowing what they want to do. The The Falcons maybe like, what if Marcus Mariota comes out and has a, a, a league average season? Well, the saints aren't that great. Panthers certainly aren't. The Bucks are still very good. Uh, but are, are there these teams that could potentially be fantasy targets from a roster perspective, and I would have to look at some of the interconference matchups for some of those teams I just mentioned, but I think a team like the Falcons would also get, they finished, uh, I think, third in the division last year. So they'd get the third place team in each of the other NFC conferences on their schedule, which should be a little bit of a benefit. But are there these teams that, because maybe nine of their games are against, you know, some of these subpar teams in the NFC, that that makes them more interesting in, in fantasy, especially when we're looking for like some offenses that are maybe cheaper and discounted and we might want to target. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because one of the things that was so frustrating last season was that the Packers were so good and they didn't want to run a lot of plays. And the Cowboys were so good and they used that to try and prop up Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott and make those guys look like contributing members of the offense as opposed to go out with the Packers and try and really put it on people the way some of those Patriots teams did in their heyday, you know, in, instead of getting CD lamb going as the superstar that you could then rely on in the playoffs. And so one of the potential frustrations I think that we could have is that some of these teams, and you look at a team like the Buccaneers and think, okay, well, the Buccaneers have been pretty aggressive, and that fits with, you know, Bruce Arians' personality. It fits with Tom Brady's personality. But if you do get back to a point where they have all of the guys healthy, and now they have for net back, uh, one of the things we were talking about in our reaction there was that during his window, where 
after the first couple of weeks when they really committed to him and then before the injury at the end, he's averaging 19 expected points per game, right? So that part, interesting for him in terms of those numbers really are first round draft pick numbers. You know, if we're talking about Najee Harris as being a first round draft pick, you have to talk about Leonard Fournette as being a first round draft pick and putting that in a little bit of context. But then you have Mike Evans. If Chris Godwin comes back and is ready soon enough, if Rob Gronkowski is in there and they don't have any competition from these teams, you know, how many points are they going to need to score? How aggressive are they going to be? You know, will it be split? And so I think that element of it, the thing that you really want to see as a fantasy manager is to have an offense with a star quarterback, a little bit of concentration at the wide receivers, and then a defense that maybe suffers some injuries in season going against a schedule where other teams have a similar outlook and have some defensive injuries. And then both teams are going up and are essentially in that fourth quarter of Kansas City Buffalo. Now, I mean, you're not going to have exactly that for big stretches of the season, but that's the type of season where you're like, okay, well, Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen scored at a level that we haven't ever seen before or is up there in that 30-point-per-game range that you know is unsustainable for people over multiple years but could perhaps be what wins your league for you in this season and so especially with all the movement too and some of the teams like the broncos you know what are the prices going to be for those players but i think that the rookie qbs as you kind of hinted are interesting because in any of them do hit then their players could be enough more efficient you throw interceptions and you have enough fourth quarter aggressiveness that combination which is what we tend to see from the stars before they get to where they start to win Super Bowls or start to get to conference championship games is this ability to move the ball and yet make mistakes that keep you having to attack in the fourth quarter. Suddenly those teams become very exciting because their receivers were not priced that way based on just realistic expectations of what the offense would do. That's that's more what I was thinking that you described, obviously, the, the perfect scenario. I think the teams that are best positioned for that are going to be priced accordingly for the most part i was thinking more in this regard of like who could be the next you know chargers over the last couple of years or especially two years ago when in herbert's rookie year when people weren't excited about the chargers offense tyrod taylor was going to be the week one starter um you know where we just don't really because there's so much uncertainty with that team that year that that the, just the fact that they they became maybe a the, the 10th best offense or 12th best offense or something you know that's above average, that's not top five, but that still makes them a huge fancy target. Maybe the Bengals last year is a good example where we had concerns. There's a lot of optimism about the Bengals too, but they sort of turned into, especially late what you were describing where their defense couldn't really hang and they were aggressive passing in, in those couple of games where they just absolutely exploded in the fancy playoffs. I'm thinking more about these teams that we're expecting to be bottom barrel in, in fancy drafts, but could end up being just slightly above average. And that can be a huge win in its own right. And like you said, if one of these young quarterbacks is able to be good enough, and this is part of the reason I immediately went to Justin Fields, is I think from a talent perspective, he can, that it would raise the level of the, the skill players on the offense and all of those things where, you know, Cole Komet could be a top five tight end, right? If if the Bears, and, and part of why I think it's relevant, this NFC side of it that I'm saying is, I agree with you on the pace and those types of things. 
But if the offense you're playing against is bad, what happens is you do get more opportunities, right? So if Justin Fields is good, but not necessarily great, but, you know, they're playing these games against the Lions where the Lions are also, you know, stepping on their own toes a little bit. It gives them enough opportunities to then feels doesn't have to be perfect for them to then have a good offensive game, essentially. Hey, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz flagship podcast. I wanted to let you know that the podcast you are listening to right now is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I can speak from personal experience and tell you that if you or someone you love is struggling with depression, they're dealing with anxiety, talking to somebody about it can make a huge difference. And that's what BetterHelp does. Within 48 hours of signing on with BetterHelp, they'll match you with a professional therapist. These therapists have a broad range of expertise that might not be available where you live. This is a worldwide service that's easy to use, allows you to get matched with a therapist that you can communicate with. You can send messages, get thoughtful responses. You can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. You can talk through anything that you need, and BetterHelp is committed to facilitating therapeutic matches that can give you all of the benefits of traditional offline therapy. They want you to start living a happier life today, and I believe that talk therapy is one of the ways that you can do that. Visit their website, www.betterhelp.com forward slash reviews to hear and read some of their testimonials. Again, you're going to want to visit BetterHelp, Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And we have a special offer for RotoViz listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash RotoViz. Can't recommend how important and how helpful talk therapy can be, so please check it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I do think it's interesting to think through as we start to see the schedules come out and everything in the next coming months, which we, we don't even have a schedule right now. We, we do know, I think for the most part, whatever what team, who every team is going to play. But once we start to look at some of these schedules and things, it will be interesting to look and see if there are any NFC teams, especially after the draft and we handle all these landing spots. If there's any NFC teams that look like they could really benefit from this idea that, number one, there's going to be uncertainty in what they are because they have some young quarterback. If that hits, what would the payoff be? And maybe it could be pretty strong because they'd be playing a pretty weak schedule or something like that. It's sort of the way that I was thinking through it. It wouldn't necessarily be fantastic, but I'm with you that we do want to be targeting the AFC more. I mean, it, it, the the types of games that we're going to get this year in the AFC, I mean, they should just play around Robin with all of these these young these young quarterbacks like just keep having them play each other over and over again and eventually determine when the winner of the super bowl now when we look at teams specifically any jump out to you because the seahawks are the ones that i think in some ways are the most interesting because you have lockett and metcalf and fant the problem there is they're actually not going to be a team that's in those three terrible divisions we look at the lions maybe not as much of the offensive firepower the saints are such a weird team you know with winston kind of there in place the falcons and the panthers i mean those are the teams there where we would start to get excited if they landed the right quarterback kyle pitts someone who could really elevate and then obviously dj Moore, christian mccaffrey I, the panthers keep swinging and that's at least something one of the things that i thought the seahawks should do would be to use the ninth and the 40th picks and take quarterbacks with both of them and give them two shots at Russell Wilson. I mentioned I don't think that any of the five quarterbacks are going to last to 43 or past 43, but I also am skeptical at this point that the fifth one lasts to 40. Thoughts there about your Seahawks? The other thing I would just throw in is that the Seahawks, and again, there's a huge extenuating circumstance, but the Seahawks, when you account for the value of Fant in those second-round picks, got more for Wilson than the Texans got for a younger, probably better QB. That part of it making you feel any better and or, I mean, could the Seahawks be this surprise team? And the problem just is that they actually do have good defenses in the NFC West. Yeah, I mean, the the issue with the Seahawks is, number one, like you said, they have good defenses in the NFC West. Number two, I don't really see a lot of upside in their actual play calling. I mean, it would be... It would be infuriating, I think, to see the Seahawks actually be pass first and throw on early downs and do the things that we want to see from an offense now that they don't have Russell Wilson and with some young quarterback or with Drew Locke or something. I mean, it's going to be a running, run-heavy team again. They're, I think they're going to get even more run-heavy. They were early in Russ's career, and Russ was efficient off of that. It was a big part of what helped them win the Super Bowl in his second season. They just never were willing to expand into a pass first team. I just don't think there's really, 
I don't want to be too certain about any kind of team trends, but I don't think there's really enough of a percentage of upside in terms of what their actual play volume and pass volume looks like. I mean, they ran the fewest plays in the league last year by a mile. And I think they're going to be that exact same type of team. So I think you're right about the weapons, but the actual functionality of the offense is the problem for me there. They still have the same decision makers in place that were the bigger picture frustration for me when we had the Seahawks conversation, right? Yeah, I guess I'm more interested in some of the other younger uh, coaches and, and, and different ways that things could go on, on some of the other teams. I mean, even a team like the Vikings could potentially be a little bit more pass heavy after their, their coaching shift. And maybe that's a huge boon for Justin Jefferson. Not that that would come out of nowhere, but maybe it's a boon for Irv Smith. You know, some of those types of considerations. Um, maybe Arthur Smith gets things going in, in Atlanta in year two. You're, you know, you were mentioning them. I, I still want to hold out hope for Mariota. I'm glad he got a contract, and I, I really hope he gets an opportunity to start for a little little bit of time now that he's had a couple of years. I mean, we're sitting here talking about, like, Mitch Trubisky getting one year off and being worth looking at, but it seems like no one's really taking Mariota that seriously. The guy played through a pretty significant elbow injury in his second-to-final season in Tennessee, and then, you know, the next year didn't start out great but was coming off a rough year. But, I mean, he was playing through a, a – an injury that they were talking about. He couldn't throw like 15 yards downfield. His ADOT came way down. I remember writing about him that year that it was really interesting to see the ADOTs of all of his receivers that year come way down because he was playing through this elbow injury. They, their pass rate cratered. They, they didn't have much else. Then they brought in Tannehill the next year. Mariota plays a little bit early in the year that ends up getting benched after whatever it was, seven games or something. And I don't know. I, I'm not confident that he's not, capable of being one of the 32 starters in the NFL. So I'm excited to see what he could do. He could be potentially a positive in his own right, but Atlanta might also draft a quarterback, as you said, but it would be interesting for Pitts. It would be interesting for the future of the Falcons. However, else they you know, address their many needs on the offensive side. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a lot of optimism for the Seahawks to your question, but some of these other teams are intriguing to me uh the eagles if i mean they were so run heavy last year but i'm not sure that's a certainty to to stick maybe if they get a little bit more pass friendly devonta smith could have a big next year you know maybe he's a good buy in that division it's it's a fun it's a fun time man i mean these are some of the the secondary discussions obviously the afc teams are the ones that have gotten shuffled the most one of the things about the teams that got shuffled that I wanted to mention on this, this show as we're kind of talking through the league stuff, the way that I was kind of crystallizing in my head this this changing team element with, with some of the top players because our buddy Rich Rebar has done great work on wide receivers changing teams. I mean, you have, Sean, as well. I, a lot of people have pointed out that the wide receivers changing teams don't tend to perform well. But one of the things Rich has said that sticks in my head always is that Typically, receivers at the top of their game don't hit the market. They don't change teams, right? It's it's so there's a kind of a selection bias where if Corey Davis changes a team, it's kind of because Tennessee didn't really care that much about keeping Corey Davis is what it ultimately kind of comes down to. What we saw this year was legitimate high-level wide receivers changing while at their peak. Um, or maybe, you know, old enough that we could be concerned about an age cliff, but they've still performed incredibly well. Sort of similar to DeAndre Hopkins a couple of off seasons ago. And we saw Hopkins be good right away in Arizona. Or Dix switching over to the Bills. And we saw him. This guy is still at his peak. We don't see. So that data maybe isn't that great. But there's still something to it 
with the familiarity of the offense and some of the things we talked about in the last couple of shows with like Adams and how he's utilized or was utilized in Green Bay and Hill and how he was utilizing KC and how that fits with the quarterbacks and everything else. Those situations get worse for the player in the new on the new team, not as good of a quarterback. There still can be optimism and, and, and reasons for positivity, but the way that I sort of crystallized and have thought about this is it's not just receivers, it's quarterbacks too. There's a lot of things. We didn't know about Matthew Stafford in LA necessarily. There was a lot of reason for optimism. It worked out pretty well, but he had to learn a new whole new playbook and a whole new team. And there was elements of his season last year during the regular season. He had some bad games. He had that Tennessee game where he threw the pick six. And the point that I would drive home or the way that it's crystallized or whatever I'm taking forever to get around to is that we maybe had a, a stable floor for some of these guys, a higher floor. And now all of a sudden the floor feels lower, right? You can get the Kenny Galladay outcome where Kenny Galladay was actually, he's probably a pretty good buy low right now. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, but it's actually really good with Detroit. And now people just think he's terrible because he switched over to the Giants and it just was, was just a bad fit for him, obviously, and health and other things. But you can get this bottom falling out outcome. To me, we still I think we still have ceiling with these really great talents, Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, but we just wind up with a wider range. We don't have as comfortable of a floor anymore. We don't know as much about their target share and things. There's a lot of ways that these new teams could decide to use these guys or, you know, they could just mess it all up. We don't we don't know. When they're in the stable situation they've been in for multiple years, we have a sample built out. Our sample size is large. We know what the Packers are going to be with Devontae Adams. We don't know what the Raiders are going to look like with Devontae Adams. He doesn't have Kenny Galladay bottom out potential in my mind at all, but it just widens the range for every player in their own little range. It, it widens it on the bad side. It, it lowers the floor without maybe really taking off the ceiling. I still think Devontae Adams could go have an incredible year for the Raiders. But we have a lot of key players now that are changing teams at a lot of positions, quarterback and the the related pass catchers for all of those teams, quarterback, wide receiver, et cetera. All the teammates that are impacted on, on every team, you know, even Adams shifting over how that impacts Waller and everyone else, all, all of those types of elements, Hill impacting Jalen Waddle. I just think it lowers the floor and widens the range of potential outcomes in a way that, I mean, I don't, I don't know. We're going to have a lot of uncertainty, I think. And like we said, it's going to make it a really fun year to to have stances and to to really try to drive home some some takes that we like. But um, it's going to be difficult as well to know what to expect from a lot of these teams. I'm probably going to be paying more attention to some coach speak this offseason, just like the ways that, that teams might want to utilize new players. If Miami gives us anything about how they want to utilize Ty Tyreek Hill, I might have to take them at their face a little bit and just be like, okay, well, that's interesting. I'm going to factor that into my projections because otherwise, what are you what what are you working off of? You know, there's just this really wide range. Certainly for Hill, it's higher than other players. I think I've made that point, but it's still it's widening uh, the range when they change teams. And so, with all this movement, I just think we have so many players with with much wider ranges than ever before. Yeah, there are three big things that kind of jump out to me from what you said there. And the first is that kind of big picture contingency-based drafting is going to be very effective and very important. And you combine and from sort of a player valuation perspective, how you're putting the players within their positions on your board. And then structural drafting, which has obviously gotten a lot more possible popular in the last couple of years is going to be incredibly important within 
that as well. You have to combine those two things very effectively. It's a lot of fun, I think, because some of these things should fit within some of the big picture topics that we discussed in our run-up to the season last year. One of those being that talent is extremely important to look at and will grab its volume. And if you're looking too much at sort of volume-based projections that split things up evenly or overly emphasize the fact that other players have to get their share and that you're not going to have things like injuries, you're not going to have the chaos of the NFL season, those projections are going to be too conservative about the best players. And so you want to be aware of that, again, as you're structuring your board. Another thing that I think is interesting and we haven't really talked about, but for the good or the bad, some of these late season stars from 2021, and then a couple of the guys who were just full season breakout, zero RB, you know, mega league winners, have more or less all gone back to their teams. There's a little bit of disappointment for some of those players where it could have been exciting if they had landed in even a better situation. We're going to be the clear-cut guy thinking specifically about Rashad Penny, for example. And yet, those free agent running backs who were in the dead zone or even behind the dead zone are going to come screaming up. The wide receivers with Adams and Hill and someone like Waddle are going to fall, even if it's only three or four spots. We, I mean, we're, we're just so perfectly placed now for the trend that we were talking about and expecting where running backs do rise and push some of those receivers down and maybe change what you're going to do in the second half of the first round in the first half of the second round talking about wide receiver running back maybe being the way to play it those running backs may move up into the first round those wide receivers may slide down you may be forced now to take a wide receiver with a little bit less ceiling which can be frustrating from that perspective but those trends i think we're going to see just like we always do and so you need to be ready with a plan to reflect that to take advantage of that and then uh, just a little note on Mariota. I was glad that you mentioned that about him from a, again, from a contingency based perspective, you know, thinking about deeper super flex leagues, I would much rather use a roster spot on him than Winston or Goff or Trubisky, even though we feel more confident about some of those guys, especially Goff and Winston actually being the starter you mentioned Mariota, then you talked a little bit about Hurts. I, I don't think there's a lot of reason to believe that Mariota is worse than Jalen Hurts. And if he's in the right situation with a good franchise, a, a head coach who believes in him, but also it doesn't matter if you believe in someone if you then don't have the skill set to use them correctly. So that's still, I think, an open question then. But will they be able to deploy him within the Atlanta offense, be successful? Can he stay healthy for a little bit of a stretch to where he'd be able to show off some of the things that he's done. I mean, the real problem for him is that he hasn't been a star, but then on top of that, when he's been decent, he's gotten hurt. And especially if you need to have some of that rushing element, you just, you can't get hurt because then you can't do what you need to do to actually win the games. And we've seen with someone who probably is better in terms of Kyler Murray, that every time he suffers an injury, that fantasy scoring goes from the 28 point per game level down into the 19, 20 point per game level. And we mentioned fantasy points, but so much of what a player is actually doing from a reality perspective is reflected very well in their fantasy scoring. And you know, obviously we've seen the Cardinals fall off when Murray's had to play injured. And so it'll be cool to see Mariota play healthy. We'll see how that 
portion of it plays out. But yeah, I mean, these trends are going to work back around into fantasy play in a way that makes for a great offseason. And I think, again, structural drafting, contingency-based drafting, humility-based drafting, but with an eye to the big talents, that should work and it should be fun. I mean, I think we're going to see some teams, and, and we say that in the context of last year's FFPC main event champions. We talked about them right after the season. They had one of those all-time great teams. But I think we're going to see some teams this year in fantasy where you look back and you're like, now, did this team have four first round picks? Did they have four second round picks? I mean, this team is unbelievable. Hopefully we'll have a few of those and yeah. a lot of fun because you put up a lot of points every every Sunday and you, you can't wait to get onto your couch and start uh, drinking soda, eating, watching those teams play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's going to be, man, we still have the draft coming up. I know this is a little bit of a curveball episode. Um, I know. For me particularly, I was just sort of kind of coming around to some thoughts as we were going. But it really does feel like such an important thing to think about for the rest of this offseason, where we're at now, if you're drafting now, where we're going to be at with the draft coming up, and then what you're going to do with your fantasy drafts after the NFL draft, if you're doing some best balls in May and June, then obviously into July and August, as things crystallize, as the industry starts to decide what they believe and don't believe, there are absolutely going to be misvaluations. I mean, I think that was something, you know, you kind of hit on with some of the biggest talents, I think was a really good thought. Some of the biggest talents are just going to be undervalued in new situations or things. And um, having that as a focal point is probably never a bad thing. But there's just going to be a lot of reason to be willing to be different than the crowd, I will say. And so that will be a lot of fun. Sean, you mentioned some of the free agent running backs. You talked about Penny. Our boy uh, Ronald Jones met with the Chiefs as well. So you talked about Visca and how there would be some overlap. Could you imagine if the Chiefs landed Visca, Juju, Ronald Jones, and or Will Fuller, but some some combination of all of these guys in the same offseason that they let Tyreek Hill go, and we got Patrick Mahomes playing with all these dudes. What I would say about that is one of them would have to be good. <laughs> a couple of them would have to be what we've said they were, were going to be. It would be really fun to see a lot of those kind of skill guys that we've taken on a lot of teams jammed onto this Chiefs roster now, and that's sort of their whole team, and somebody's going to have to figure it out. They will, or we will get complete vindication for the opposite thesis, which is that these guys are all terrible. <laughs> play for the Chiefs, and Mikael Hardman has tried to demonstrate this, then you probably simply are not an NFL-level player. But Ronald Jones, run to daylight, right? Give him that ball. He's going to be, by the time Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets through the line at his 35, Ronald Jones could be in the opposing end zone. And so is he a great fit for the Chiefs? Will he bring that receiving value? Will they sign him? You know, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I do feel like Ronald Jones will get through those holes. We'll get to the second level. We'll score some long TDs. Maybe those guys would be a good fit. I, I would love it. I would love it because Andy Reid's more of a player's coach too, where like the fumbles and stuff don't seem to bug him. He likes to just stick with guys, even, even through some mental mistakes, I feel like. I mean, I don't know if you have that same perception, but that's been my perception of Reid all throughout his career is that he's like, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to continue to let you figure it out. And so if Rogers, uh, Jones misses some blocks or, or whatever, 
it's, it would just be the polar opposite of Arians in my mind. And maybe you could build some confidence and maybe we'd start to see what we felt like could be there underneath the surface uh, from Ronald Jones. I mean, that's, I think, almost as much as Visca, who I'm obviously hopelessly devoted to. But I think it's uh, for his own career. I think it's Jones landing in Kansas City that I'd like to see more than any, anything. And uh, you mentioned... Andy Reid and how he approaches this. And we don't necessarily have the inside viewpoint, but that does seem to be the case. Not everybody is going to work out for us. Some players simply can't get it done. But with Ronald Jones, you're talking about a guy who has long speed and has a former 1,000 yard season on his resume. He's somebody who needs confidence. Now, not all players who need confidence actually have the ability to take that get the job done, build themselves into the players that they need to be. That's one of the reasons that some of the coaches feel like the tough love will get it done instead. I think that most of the research actually suggests that it's counterproductive as opposed to a help. And I think that someone who approaches it the way Andy Reid does is more likely to get the most value out of all the players. You know, From a, a career perspective, I don't think that you can criticize what Andy Reid has done both in Philadelphia and Kansas City. Right now he has Patrick Mahomes, but he was a fantastic head coach when he didn't have passers of that level. Now I, I continue to believe the Chiefs are going to win some more Super Bowls. And we look at guys rehabbing their value. It seemed like a huge mistake for Juju Smith-Schuster to stay in Pittsburgh last season. This year he's made the choice to go to Kansas City. I don't know that LaVisca Chenault's going to have any control of where he goes. I mean, it's not going to be the same situation at all as what we've seen with these wide receivers and QBs who can dictate to their teams the terms. But... I mean, if he has any opportunity to get there, again, you have a chance to rehabilitate your career. And Hassan was mentioning to me that the Chiefs have also signed Corey Coleman. So when we talk about some real deep options there, I mean, maybe he is the breakout star for the 2022 season. It would be amazing. (laughs) I I didn't think he was, you know, I didn't think, I I thought I'd heard the last of Corey Coleman, but um, seeing that was, was fun. I think I, I sent a tweet uh, out about that as well, saying maybe maybe Corey Colbert just needed the right fit. You know, <laughs> we've had we've had some time um, since he was maybe the top overall prospect in his class or top wide receiver prospect. Certainly was up there and looked fantastic in a lot of the models. So we saw Laquan Treadwell start to turn his career back around with the Jacksonville Jaguars. If he can do that, then Corey Coleman with Patrick Mahomes. Corey Coleman's got a shot for sure. Get him on your roster. Yeah. Um, One last thing I wanted to say to wrap up that I was thinking about earlier and just came back to me is just that somebody pointed out to me how different January drafts look than March drafts this year. And we talk, there's this big discussion in the fantasy industry every year about, um, drafting earlier, drafting late. I, I My opinion has always been like, I don't think there's a clear answer. And I think it's easy to look back in hindsight and say it was great to draft early or late that year. I think this year is a year where you can look at it and say there was so much uncertainty or the, with the way it played out that, that that now we can look back and say in January, there was so much uncertainty that like you're, you're flipping a lot of coins, frankly, in terms of how things were going to land. Probably have some good teams, probably have some really good values might also have some guys that are just not even playing. And and so you have these elements like, like, I mean, I'm thinking of Calvin Ridley, who I think was a reasonable value in January and like as like a fourth or fifth rounder. And then now we find out that he's not going to play this year. There's a, 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 this 
huge shift so far this offseason in, in a way that I've never seen, I don't think. I'm, I'm curious if, if you agree with that, but I don't think I've ever seen the initial ADP be as different as it is now here in, in late March. We haven't even hit the draft. And so we're going to continue to see a lot of shuffles. We're going to continue to see a lot of, of changes. I think there's still reason to want to, to draft early and draft now and try to take advantage of that as much as possible. But I would say be deliberate about it. Don't get tied into ADP and things. And that's sort of the, the main point I wanted to make is that I think we're going to see still a lot of settling. Be willing to take guys well above ADP or to have targets. Don't just follow the crowd, I think, with like your portfolio and your exposures right now because we're going to, yeah, we're going to see changes, more changes. We've already seen a ton. And every year, even years that are very stable or bland by comparison we see these massive adp shifts even as late as i always think back to the mfl 10 of death which seems like kind of a blit time period or a, a reference point i should say of a time where we draft and then things actually do shift again after that pretty quickly and you start to see a lot of movement and you know that draft in the middle of the summer you go back and look at that and it's crazy the valuation sometimes the players go way up and you're like i've got 10 picks in the first five rounds but then the thing that's funny again which goes back to this idea of the humility-based drafting is that a lot of times those players that you got the great values on are not the ones that help you win your league and so you, you want to be aware of those types of things you mentioned calvin really there are a lot of injured guys who get drafted based on past production which i mean past production is how you draft people but these early drafts i try and stay there are so many values right there are so many guys that i really like on my board i try and stay away from the people who have the extra red flags where i mean calvin really we didn't know he was going to be suspended but there was this question of i mean obviously something is going on there he's a player who left his team last year that's not any criticism of him i mean i think these players should do what they need to do to protect their mental health when you're looking at kind of where to draft them make sure you aren't uh, some of the discounts that you see on players who have a lot of risk i think there are other guys who are so exciting in those areas who maybe you're saying well it's not this big discount but it's a great value in and of itself even if it's not a discount to adp or you don't think the guy maybe is going to rise as much build your team with a ton of talent and a ton of value without adding extra risk I mean, there's so much risk when we draft in the early part of the season you don't need more of it there are so many good players to take in yeah, every spot are you talking about like chris godwin odo beckham some of those types of guys i would be i mean godwin is one of my favorite players and i am hopeful that he'll come back i don't you know especially in this situation where he's going to have to split with someone like a mike evans and we talk about how there are times where players get a great discount for you because of that and yet, if they're also injured, there are just so many other guys. And so, you know, we, we want to look at that. And, and even some of the players like a Devin Singletary right now, I mean, you've got to be a little bit circumspect because even though J.D. McKissick swapped out for Duke Johnson, that seems positive. It makes no sense in terms of roster building for the Bills to draft one of these top running backs. But, I mean, somebody's going to. I mean, the teams have now kind of built back in to where there aren't super obvious spots for players except for the houston texans who are an obvious spot for like every position on the field <laughs> but we're we're kind of hoping that those guys don't all go to houston because that's not going to be i'd still love to see a running back to atlanta as well just with Mariota adding a little bit of that rushing efficiency as a quarterback and, and then that adds some of a bump to the runners usually so that i it's not going to be a good team but and if arthur smith can 
you know, build his offense around a, a, a maybe a better runner than Mike Davis, or even, you know, he had to go to Cordero Patterson last year. He was good. And that's when they were the best offense. But what if like Brees Hall lands there? Could, could he actually kind of try to make him into his Derrick Henry type centerpiece of his offense like he had in Tennessee? But that's another one that, but yeah, I think you're right. There's like so few spots now. Miami was a, a great one. They've now basically backfilled like you were talking about. Buffalo is, is getting some buzz as a place for some of these top running backs and would be interesting. I think, uh, the Chargers alongside Austin Eckler might be one that could shake things up. Like they didn't really like their big backs last year if they went and got uh, a bigger back to be their number two. But we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see on that stuff. But I, I love your point about these early drafts. Maybe just sort of cross off some of these names, you know, before you get into the draft room. Make sure you're targeting players that there's at least an upside case and an optimism case for that will – that can last and will last into to August. And especially if you really like the player. I mean, I've I loved Calvin Ridley, loved Chris Godwin, and it may be something where you don't take them off completely, but, and obviously now Ridley needs to be off completely, but before that happened, but move them down even much further than you might have. Because one of the things is you think you're getting a mild value on someone who has a lot of risk. You can end up with a lot of shares and you don't get to see just how far they would fall in your draft. And even if the ADP is, settling in a little bit higher especially in early drafts where you have a lot of variability draft to draft i mean you could get them in in some of your leagues much much less expensively but i think the early draft time period and we've seen now with these wide receivers perform particularly well that some of those guys are rising and some of these spots look so good that you know you want to hammer the rookie wide receivers and yet again try and be patient but but load up right i mean there are so many fun players that you don't have to take the risk on. You can take a different type of risk that I still prefer over the injury risk, the suspension risk, you know, retirement risk, those types of things that you could get hit with and you just lose the roster spot completely. I mean, that's the, I think the biggest risk with drafting early is you don't want to feel going into August like your team's dead. And I think there's people that drafted in January that already feel like their team's dead and, and we're here in March. So I think that's sort of the overarching theme is you want to be drafting players that you aren't going to have that feeling before August <laughs> draft them young the redraft best ball teams that look like dynasty rebuilding teams they tend to be pretty feisty you come around there in the fall and you find yourself with some pretty good values then that'll do it today for another fun episode of stealing bananas we got Ben's thoughts on how the NFL has really shifted and is entering a new era in 2022 but also had a fantastic article out in his newsletter stealing signals this week make sure you subscribe to that you won't want to miss it we got all kinds of content coming out on rotoviz all the time if you want a 10 percent discount to the subscription you can get that using the coupon code rv radio 2022 at checkout join us subscribe to the feed we appreciate that we had a lot of people sign up to the youtube channel during the live show yesterday we really appreciate all of you guys doing that uh, if you want to jump over and, and do that for us, even if you're not planning to actually watch or listen on those, just that subscription really does help us. Same little thing. You just take a second and refresh your rating and review on the podcast tool. Don't need to spend a lot of time with it, but refreshing that does help us in the algorithm. Those couple little things there and looking forward to this weekend, a lot more potentially happening. We've got pro days coming up. We're moving on toward the NFL draft and this next couple of weeks, Ben, 
a really fun time to draft yourself now that we see where all of these free agents have landed. We've got FFPC cut down dates coming up. Ben and I are going to try and do some big trades over the next five or six days. Everybody enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the basketball. We'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.